0: sports cage on 91.3 wvud with teddy Gelman. i feel like i need to stand up in studio here and kind of experiment with how that would work brandon
1: Halvek their whole defensive line has been arrested once or twice over the past two years
2: ahmed quadri the yankees are fun to watch end quote that's it that's all i ever said and jake lampert
3: eat more chicken there you go i'll throw a slogan in there if anyone here is uh working for trick-fil-a i'm gonna throw me some sandwiches
0: It's Sports Talk Radio on 91.3 WBUD. Welcome to The Cage. We're going to get into Delaware men's basketball now. A tough loss last night against Buffalo, who very quietly is a very competitive team. And I say that with the understanding that maybe the uneducated fans would say, oh, who's Buffalo? The Blue Hens should go in and take care of business. But Jake, it was a, a game in which the Buffalo, they were the Bulls, correct Yeah, the Bulls got ahead, and then the Blue Hens made a run, but all in all, they had some top scorers and some quality scores. the Buffalo team did. What was your biggest takeaway from that game last night? Um, that we have options.
3: Uh, We saw down the stretch, the last probably two or three minutes, Ryan Allen went on a probably a personal 10-point tear, where he had two, um... 3 point plays one being a three-pointer one being an add one and then he had a big block on the other end to save two and then he had a steal on the other end so he was responsible for a cumulative amount of 10 points for the blue hens and then it for the first seven eight minutes of the game ryan uh kevin anderson had some of the best plays that we saw the entire game he had a great uh, back shoulder pass to uh mosley under the rim and he had Carter for a, a one or two passes. So they have options, and they have other leadership opportunities.
0: Yeah, what w- something we really spent time on last week was this idea of, is Ryan Daly, or this question, rather, is Ryan Daly still the best player on this team? Ryan Daly, what did he do on the court last night? Not just from the stat sheet, but from what you saw as somebody who was physically there on the court. In terms of athleticism, agility, speed, did he look healthy? He looked a little bit slow last Monday from what Amit and I saw. I thought he looked fine. Uh, on the court, it was weird not seeing,
3: uh, looking from last year's perspective, it's weird not seeing him this year control the ball more. Kevin Anderson took the ball up every single time, and if it wasn't Anderson, it was Mosley. And then in the off chance on a fast break that maybe like Carter brings down the rebound and Daly's the one next to him, we'll give it to Daly, and Daly will march downfield. Uh, down the court, but there's not too much that he didn't do. He had back-to-back threes. He had a good a couple of good blocks, a couple of good steals. He got matched up against a lot of their players. Buffalo was a lot bigger than we were. We usually ran Eric Carter and then maybe Derek Woods for a little bit, but they had uh, Nick Perkins, their big man, was 6'9", 250, and there were a few plays where Ryan Daly ended up being matched on Nick Perkins, and that's not an easy matchup. And but he still held his ground. He still played well. He was very good. And for the most part, he had the ability to lock down their two leading scorers, C.J. Massenburg who had 30 and Devonta Jordan who had
0: 20. Ryan Daly had 20 point, 22 points, excuse me, on eight for 16 shooting at the free throw line. He was two for two in the game. The Blue Hens fell. The final score 75 to 72 last night at home against Buffalo. The record now for the, the Delaware men's basketball team is 4 and 5. They started off with a couple good games and then they went down on to North Carolina. They won a couple and then they came back and now three consecutive losses to Yale, Navy, Buffalo. Something Coach Inglesby said, I believe he said it to WDSD or maybe to one of the print reporters last night. I saw it on Twitter earlier was, you know, we we have set ourselves up with a very difficult out of conference schedule. And they've been competitive in in just about every game so far. So you see four and five, but Yale, Navy, Buffalo, and now Notre Dame on Saturday. If anything, th- this is a good opportunity for the team to get these freshmen blending together. And it's not like they're getting blown out against some of these out of conference teams, even if they're not getting the results that they would have liked to. Buffalo and the MAC is projected to win the MAC. Who and- else? Is, just just curious, who else is in the MAC? <sighs>
3: um, I want to say like. Binghamton, uh, let's see, MAC conference.
0: Um,
2: they usually just send one, right? The auto auto yeah. bid. Unless, yeah, unless
0: yeah, unless somebody else was that not, yeah like, Yeah, doesn't yeah. You know, Akron, lose. Ohio. Well, I'm looking in football. Gotta find MAC basketball conference. It's not the conference that you hear about. So Bowling often. Green,
3: Akron, Buffalo, Ohio, Kent State, uh, competition Central in that. and Eastern There's Michigan, in that. Ball State, Toledo, that kind of yeah. Um, But speaking of the Buffalo game, we should have won that game. We were down by two with about two minutes left, and Kevin Anderson had back-to-back turnovers. One of them, he had the lane. He had somebody, um, one of the Buffalo guys coming behind him and was either going to hit him from behind or draw the foul, or he won't even get close, and Anderson just needs to put up the layup. Instead, he tried to force a pass to Daly in the corner. It got stolen. They returned on the other side for two. Then the other side, he... uh, tried to almost cross-court a pass to Ryan Allen, and that one got tipped, and they went down the other end, and they put that to two, and then if it wasn't for Ryan Allen's 10-point or 6-point run, they would have been even a 10-point loss there. And I was talking to Nick, the uh, guy that the game with, and when they went into the huddle with about two and a half minutes left, Inglesby kind of took Anthony Mosley off the bench and brought him into the huddle, but then they sat Anthony Mosley again. When there is that two-minute left on the clock in a competitive game that you can win... I don't know why Anthony Mosley, the senior, who played a very safe basketball game, I think he had zero or one turnovers, he shot almost perfect in the field. I don't know why he wasn't in controlling the basketball game.
2: And I hate I hate the whole I don't like giving people pass. Well it's a learning experience, two turnovers, they'll learn from that. I will never give a person that kind of credit, you know, it's two bonehead plays, you should make it, but right now I think Ryan Anderson or excuse me, Kevin, Ryan Allen, Kevin Anderson, Ryan Allen, Kevin Anderson. I always mix the two. I've I've mis- mixed them <laughs> up many times but myself. But they will learn from this because again, obviously each game matters, but it's not the CAA play yet, and that's when it really matters. And they will learn how to finish games. Again, I will never give a team a pass that they were talking about the Sixers this year. Oh, they'll learn from it, they'll grow. No, you need to win now. Um, same with football, sixteen games, you need to win now. There's no learning experience. There's no time. You're a professional. But in college, in this instant, I will give them a pass. I think they will learn from this, and hopefully they will learn how to finish a game. I agree with you, Jake. They should have won that game, but should have, could have, would have. That doesn't matter. There's no moral victories. I also don't believe in that. If they can get this ship you know, kind of right by CAA play, it seems going to be a problem down in March. There are Notre Dame, Dell State, CSU, Bakersfield,
0: Cornell. So four games left before they open up conference play against UNC Wilmington on the 30th of December so it gives them four more games
2: three of them are at home I would say that those are tough games they're, they are those I mean those are tough games and, and you're De- looking at a Dell Del State, State game State. that's easy no that's a that's a Delaware lo- rivalry they're gonna come out guns a blazing so that's a, it's, it's, a not, tough it's, one. Not it's not yeah, yeah, B- yeah, it's not Goldie Bika I mean yeah. it's not Goldie B it's still division one and um there's some talent down there and there's always that rivalry that route one rivalry so if you think they're not going to come out, you know, with a heat check, you know, you're absolutely wrong. Tough tough schedule for the Blue Hens. And that's what Inglesby talked about. He said this is something
0: that cuz the coaches put together this schedule and he said this is something that we we did because we think it's going to I'm paraphrasing here. This is something that can benefit them in the long run once they open up their conference play. And across the board here, I mean, we're talking about the development of some of the guys who've been on the team for a year or two or three and the implementation of these freshman players, the Kyrie Walkers, the Allens, the Andersons. And you've got a little bit more flexibility this season than they did all of last year. And if Ryan Daly can keep up what he's done and you implement some of the freshmen, it gives them a lot of space to work with. So now Notre Dame on Saturday, they you guys saw that they lost to Ball State the other night, right?
3: Yeah. It was a buzzer. Yeah, it
0: was. They lost on a buzzer beater. It was yeah. a shocker. Michigan State before that. Yeah, so mm. they've been they've been I don't want to say struggling. They're a great team.
3: We projected them to come in well top we five thought, well, or something. Yeah, we thought it not for them to come in unbeaten.
2: Right, but that's not the case. But I don't think can you diminish that really kind of coming in or uh, I don't know if the Blue Hens locker room kind of eyes opened up a little bit here, like hey, let's make that you know three losses now in the last like two weeks for them. So I don't know if that changes anything for the um for Mike Bray and the Fighting Irish, but mm-hmm. that's gonna be interesting uh for your psyche moving forward. Well, I agree with you. I mean, this, I mean, you. Let's think about this now. If
0: I'm a, uh, if I'm a, a player who is watching Notre Dame lose to Ball State, if anything, that gives me a little more confidence. Sure. And then now, sure, you can make the case. Okay, well, if Notre Dame loses that game, they're going to come back and they're going to play better. But you can't think of it like that. You look at what Notre Dame has done, and they opened up the season with a great start. They started the season, I believe, six and zero. And then they lost to Michigan State. They came back with a win, a big win, against St. Francis, Brooklyn uh, in South Bend. And then they fell to Notre Dame uh, at Ball State. And now they got Delaware, and it's, it's going to be a packed Bob. And I'm not saying that that's a reason that the Blue Hens are going to win, but that's something we don't hear very often. A packed Bob Carpenter Center officially sold out. I don't know if you guys saw the prices that they were going for. Those tickets for general admission that's not really the right phrase. We're looking there. at
2: triple digits
0: here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you were you were talking seventy to eighty, anywhere to to more than two hundred. So this is going to be the the most like sold out game since we're talking. You you said Deladon, but I don't know. For men's, we're talking yeah. late nineties when Mike Bray was the Blue Hens coach.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mhm. And I don't know. I just don't know if I'm paying like a hundred bucks to watch the Blue Hens possibly lose by like twenty. Am I wrong?
3: I mean, I w- that? I wouldn't pay a hundred, but you get to watch Notre Dame play basketball. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. exciting.
2: I saw tickets going up Ag- against, north of two hundred. Against your team,
3: yeah, you get to see against the team that you support. Yeah, um, I I have no doubt that this is going to be a competitive basketball game. Oh, absolutely. But th- th- we we for have sole we have of, the talent and yeah. we have the roster and mm-hmm. we have the players that will make this game a competitive game right. at least. Um,
2: well, for, also for the sole purpose of Blue Hens will do their best to keep their best five out there. And Notre Dame might not need to have their best five out there. Well, I, I was talking to uh, uh, Jacob Orledge,
0: He's the investigative editor up at The Review. And we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And he said, oh, let's make a bet. Over, under, 30-point loss. And I really did not hesitate at all. I said, you know what? I'm going to take the under with that. I don't think that this team is going to get smoked out of their own building by 30, 35, 40 points. I would be lying if I said I expected the Blue Hens to win. Obviously, that would be awesome if they can win. But you expect Notre Dame to win. This is a number nine team nationwide right now that's going to get a great seed in the tournament. But over under 30, that was easy for me. If you said over under 20, I'd,
3: I'd be optimistic. I'd say under. If you if you said over under 15, I'd say, I, I think it'll be in the 15 to 20 range. That's just an optimistic look. I don't, again, I think we'll make it competitive. I think we'll keep it competitive. All that I want in a basketball game is A, that's competitive, and B, when there's five minutes left on the clock, I feel like there's still some sliver of hope. Whether it's happening, but when, when the clock says five minutes in the second, I just want to be able to say all right, we can still possibly do this, which happened in the Buffalo game. There were five minutes left on the clock. And I was like, yep, we can still do this. There was .1 seconds left on the clock at the end of the Buffalo game. A lot of controversy surrounding that game. But I was like, yeah, we can still win this. And we almost did on a very good missed free throw by Kyrie Walker, and he tipped it out. It was, it was a mess of a game, but we have
0: hope. And, and let's be honest here. When you say five minutes left in the second half, that lead, if, if you were losing by... I don't want to get into all these scenarios, but if you're losing by 15 points with 5 minutes left, you can still win that that's game. Still a basketball you game. can still win that game. We're just saying you, you just wouldn't want it to be 70 to 70 to 40 yeah, 70 with to 5 minutes left. That, that's not like. going to happen. But this is I mean I saw an interview with Notre Dame coach Mike Bray the other day following the Ball State game. The Notre Dame press was asking him about the Delaware game. He said it's going to be emotional for me. I didn't really realize but once I did more research, it became more clear. This was a guy who was a coach here for five years, maybe six. I'll have to fact check, but I think it was 95 to 2000, something like that. He goes to Notre Dame. Inglesby plays his senior year with Mike Bray as the head coach. Inglesby, the Delaware head coach we're talking about right now. Inglesby then works his way up to being an assistant with Mike Bray, who then said, Inglesby said, and Mike Bray said, both of them said, we basically collaborated on all of Notre Dame's offensive Stuff all of their place. So Inglesby is this great young mind in college basketball coaching, and it's clear that there's a great mutual respect there. So as somebody who's going to be, there, I mean, we'll all be there. It's going to be very exciting to see how that interaction goes. But we come back to how competitive the Blue Hens are going to be in this game. I find it hard to believe that that they're going to lose by 30 points. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't it see being it. a 30 point
3: win. I don't see it even being a 25 point win. Like I said a little while ago we have the lineup to make it competitive we have scores ryan daly can score the basketball you saw ryan allen can score the basketball we know that even down low you have eric carter who can score we'll put points on the board we'll play pretty good defense it'll be a competitive basketball game so for those saying like you said 30 points i don't see it
2: i think this could be good in the long term because correct me if i'm wrong but like And Towson's really good this year. I might not use them as an example. But, like, is Drexel or some of these other CAA teams playing, like, top 10 ranked? Like, are they playing Duke or Kentucky, Notre Dame? They're not playing, like, Michigan State. They're not playing these kind of schools. So I want to see what this does for the Blue Hens kind of heading towards, even if it is a loss, heading towards that CAA play and maybe elevates just their level of competitiveness altogether. Because, like I mentioned, I don't think these CAA teams – even though some of them are good they're not playing these kind of competition and to be the best you got to beat the best
0: absolutely you mentioned Towson i didn't realize this
2: towson has won 9 9 up.
0: games in a row yep they have the best overall record at 9 and 1 of course that doesn't mean a lot because they have an open conference play but it should definitely mean something because of what they've done so far at this point in the season and there's no CAA team right now that looks dreadful i mean uncw they lost a lot of players they lost their coach they're 2 and 4 they've lost three in a row but you can't really look pay much, atten- to atten- pay much attention excuse me at the conference schedule until the conference seedings until you get into the conference schedule but absolutely mean it's a it's a learning experience And this is a chance for you to go up against a legitimate NCAA powerhouse who every single year in recent seasons is in the tournament and wins at least one game. Feels like a Sweet 16 team every year. Exactly. And a couple years ago they went to the Elite Eight. They haven't won. One in a very long time. They haven't won one under Mike Bray, but it's a team who you expect to go there. They've got a great following. This is a premier program in college basketball. So uh, from a fan's perspective, you, you know, I do hope that people get up for this one and not just literally get up and walk yeah. to the game, mm-hmm. but I hope that people pay attention and, and, are engaged, yeah. and, and are engaged in it and say, all right, sure, maybe we'll lose to them and maybe this is just simply a learning experience. But one, it's a cool experience for these players to have and it's hard, Ryan Daly said back in May when asked about this game, he said, you know, we want to say that it's just like any other game, but it's not just like any other game. It's different. They're going to be giving out blue T-shirts to everybody in the stands, and it should have a different feel to it than most Delaware men's basketball games do. And I, I don't know what will be comparable to this game, anything other than maybe we'll think it back to 2014 when they won the conference under Monte Ross. And I don't even know how that will stack up, but I do hope yeah. people get up for this one.
2: Absolutely. And and that's where you want to go back to a team that played in Michigan State in the round one of the NCAA tournament. So you obviously not that far away. It was only about four, less than four years ago. So to get to that, I think Inglesby, it starts on Saturday.
0: You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Let's jump to, to baseball now. We haven't done baseball since the World Series. There's a couple guys as Amid stands up and prepares to leave the studio. You know, you you really have you got to give yourself more credit here because you picked up a lot of baseball in October. You learned more, so as we were talking. Don't he, cheat he, yourself. He don't knew don't who
3: he knew what team the Marlins were, so that's a positive. He like, Gordon, yeah. shortstop. Mm, oh, second, no, second base, second base, close, second base, second base, middle
2: infielder. You base. Have just said middle infielder. Yeah, he plays on dirt he came, he the dirt portion of the field. came up
1: as a shortstop.
2: He plays on the dirt portion of the field. Um,
0: did get traded. Yeah, the Marlins are in the news for that and also for how they're handling Giancarlo Stanton. So first, Dee Gorder goes to Seattle. The Mariners, you know, I find the Mariners a very interesting team because I feel like over the last five or so years, they have made moves that makes you think that suddenly they're going to be a contender, yet they seem to finish 500 every year. There's a team that, when you look at them on paper, they're like, all right, power rank's like four. Like, this team's going to be really
3: good. And then 10 games this season, they're like, oh, and 10. Oh, and You're like, all right, maybe not. Maybe we overestimated them too much. The last, I mean, few seasons, like you just said, they've been around five hundred. But what does this mean for the Marlins in full perspective? They get away. Well, can,
1: can we can we get stay on the Mariners real quick with this? My my biggest question with this is what position is he gonna play? They already got Gene Segura from the Brewers last year. He's playing shortstop at second base. Robinson Cano, he's their guy. He's the guy that they've built this new offense around. Designated hitter, they have Nelson Cruz. Where are they gonna play D Gordon?
3: They're probably gonna either put him as a backup, or they could move him into the outfield. Because Dee Gordon's fast. D. Gordon's probably one of, if not the fastest player in the MLB. He can cover the outfield. We know he's a capable athlete. Uh, his bat kind of fits the outfield type bat if there is some sort of stereotype for an outfielder hitting. Um, but they could possibly put him into the outfield. Or, and I don't think this is a huge thought-out plan, they could be just taking D. Gordon to send him somewhere else and get him for maybe another arm in the bullpen, but doubtful.
0: Well, the the Marlins, I mean, this is connected to the Marlins, because here the Marlins are in a situation where they are, for the last several years, kind of like the Mariners. I'm not saying that the Marlins were supposed to win the NL East, but they've had a little bit of a disappointing time putting together. Remember the whole Jose Reyes, Mark Burley. They've tried to do things, and it hasn't worked. So they ship him off. Stanton... Who knows what's happening with Giancarlo Stanton and possible trades that may or may not ever happen? So this is a team who you think, well, they could go in rebuilding mode. So if they get prospects over from the Mariners, who have had prospects for many years now, and you get Cano, but they don't do anything else, I feel like it's it's relatively low risk for for Seattle. But you give away
3: D Gordon, you will then give a hypothetically give away
1: Giancarlo Stanton, whether or not that happens. Who's the face of your team? Christian Yelich, well, Marcelo this is, Zuna? This is how the Marlins do business. This is how they've done business for the last 15 years. But They not, keep their payroll as one of the lowest in baseball. But they haven't done anything about
3: it. So I, I don't yeah. see the the bonus of trading no, away Gordon, I'm trading away Stanton. I'm not saying it's
1: Stanton. right or wrong. I'm just saying this is nothing new for them to trade away established pieces of this team. Think about when they traded away Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis in one foul swoop. They traded away Dee Gordon just a few you know, m- moments ago, um, trying to think of anyone else that would have been a big name that everybody would recognize, but they never, one, invest in free agents, and two, once their guys get past arbitration, they're rarely ever still on that team. They're one of the youngest teams year-to-year and one of the lowest payrolls. So they're going to clear cap space. They're going to... Well, there's no cap.
2: They, whole, they're clearing clear space Yeah,
3: clear budget space. Um hopefully get someone to fill the void of Stanton and D. Gordon? I don't know if there is...
1: Well, the reason why you're making this trade is not to get better this year. You're making this trade no, because you're, John Carlos Stanton makes $300 million, and you don't want to pay that. But you're not... And you're not good enough right now to compete with those two pieces. So I would be the shocked the
3: if they don't get somebody to make them competitive. If they literally full tank, or quote-unquote tank, tanking is not a thing anymore in a lot of asterisks and quotes they're gonna go straight to the bottom of the division they're going to ha- because the Phillies might have something to say about that um, well the Phillies <laughs> the Phillies showed some spark at the end of the year they showed some and I would if they give away anyway, John Carlos Stanton point, yeah. and D Gordon it, it'll be a battle to see who's worse sure because that, that is a division if they kept D Gordon if they kept John Carlos Stanton and if they made a power move they made a proactive move not a reactive move
1: I'm just saying a team. I've never seen the Marlins go out and say, okay, last year we were a 77-win team. Let's go get Shohei Otani or you know, name whoever else you want as a big-name free agent and actually be well, that's what I'm when they, competitive. When they're competitive, have... they do it based off their young talent. And then Which once that have... young talent gets to the point where they need to be paid or they become free agents, they get rid of them. because They're, they, they're they not going to be the Yankees. They're people. not going
3: to find two people on rookie contracts that carry them to the world, like the, the playoffs. Right. They are they have to whether they have to realize it cuz their pitching is good their pitching's competent they are going to have to the, i don't I, I don't see any way or any situation or any like you said any positive that the Marlins come out of this not even this year but next year the year after that the Marlins say look back and looking back on this trade saying this was a good trade good idea guys high fives all around there's i don't see any positive
0: but but also it's not like d gordon was some super i mean he's a very very good he's, he's a very solid player he but, was a big reason not, why that, but i'm game. saying right. i'm saying in my in my opinion here i don't see how this trade if i'm a marlins fan i'm not going crazy of it because with d gordon how, how many loss how many more losses are you going to get relative without to d Gordon? Stanton, relative I to christian
3: know. yelich and even yeah. marcelo I mean, zuna I, and d gordon's I, there i'm
1: guessing kind of that you and i both Jake are kind of talking about these two moves together. Obviously, Stanton hasn't been traded, but the idea of them you know, flailing to the bottom of the I both East leading. is based on both of those guys being traded. Now, the whole Stanton thing, the other aspect of it is how they've kind of let this play out in the public eye. Stanton has a full no-trade clause, um, so he can basically control how long he'll stay where he goes because he can opt out after three years and stay for up to ten years, I think it is. And also where he goes. He wants to go to the Dodgers, but that doesn't really look like a landing spot. The other two places that everybody's talking is the Giants and the St. Cardinals. Louis.
3: He has to go to St. Louis. Because those, those, are those are the two teams.
1: packages that the Marlins have already kind of put out there, playing off their leverage, that they have um, comfort in taking. That they would take the deal from either the Giants or the or the Cardinals. Um, but Stanton wants to go to the Dodgers. How do we think this is going to play out?
3: The St. Louis Cardinals are the only viable spot, I see, because... The Cardinals are always knocking on the playoff door every single year, regardless of who we say, and if they get that bat, that extra bat, to pair with Dexter Fowler and Carpenter and Molina, they'll have a legitimate shot, and now being the playoff team that we've seen from them the past few years. If if he goes to the Giants, how much can you trust the Giants' bonuses?
0: Well, I'll tell you, I... I will go as far as say to say that the Giants' 2017 season, to me, I don't think should be looked at as a reason to think that the Giants, all of a sudden, are going to, for the next three, four years, be a terrible MLB team. Because you look at their roster, and they've got pretty much the same group of players Few changes that won or got to the World Series. So if I mean, if I'm a Giants fan, I say bring him over there. I think that's a great fit. I think the Cardinals would be a great fit too. But in terms of the NL, I think it would be far more intriguing if he goes out west. Well, and that that
3: division becomes four, four teams You got four, yeah, slapping exactly. each other for the top of the division. That'll be fun to watch at least.
1: And I don't think that that's a 60-win team, like Teddy was saying, because you have Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner on a full season. And then if you bring in a John Carlos Stanton that is worth, by himself, four or five wins, playing right field every day, you'd get rid of Hunter Pence, who has, you know, he's got a big name, but he has not been a great player over the past few years as far as what he, you know, adds to them based on that wins above replacement. I think that that leaps them back into the playoff picture. Uh, but I do think with the Cardinals... I would be very scared if I'm now the Cubs or Brewers if they get Giancarlo Stanton because, um, you know, what's missing from that team, besides health from the pitching staff, it's deep ball power. They don't, have one anybody, good, bad. they don't have anybody that you fear in the middle of no, the lineup. Correct
2: me if I'm wrong, but that's a big stadium. St. Louis? Yeah, Bush. Bush is a big it's stadium. It's big stadium. It's
0: not the biggest, but that's it's the big not any. the smallest. I
1: think it favors left-handers, and Stanton is a right-hander, so that is one factor. Um, but AT&T Park in San Francisco is one of the biggest, yeah. and it's got mm-hmm. especially. And he'll still hit the water easily. <laughs> we'll we'll he'll see about that. He'd that have to ball. go opposite field. Um, for lefties, it's particularly tough at AT&T Park. Not quite as tough for right-handers.
0: Shohei Otani has l- narrowed his list. He's the Japanese superstar. They call him the Babe Ruth, the Japanese Babe Ruth. He could pitch. He can hit, and he has narrowed his list down for MLB teams. He had a larger list, and then he said, you know, I don't want to play in a big market. I want to play with a smaller team. And he said, I, I like, kind of like the West Coast. You talk about West Coast, I mean, if he'd be happy to go to Seattle, I think that would be a good
1: fit. Uh, mm-hmm. but, well, but it's funny you say that. A part of the D Gordon trade is that they got a million dollars in that international pool signing bonus money that they can now offer to you know, in a potential deal for Shohei Ohtani.
0: So who else would you have out on the West Coast? You'd Dodgers. Have, you'd have the Dodgers, the Giants. I,
1: I want to play in a small
0: the market base of the Dodgers. Well he well the Padres It's are more part so of the So he does
1: he said he didn't want to play New York. Right, which was the big thing because out of, out of
3: both teams and they said the Yankees made a huge push to him. I think the Mets made the biggest possible push that they possibly right. can for him. And I think it would have been a great landing spot for him.
1: But you think about him coming from Japan.
3: <laughs> going to New York. The West is,
1: Coast is way closer to Japan than the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have quite the same media attention on you all the time. And then you look at a team like the Dodgers that has a fair influx of Japanese players, which he hasn't publicly said that that's a consideration. That's kind of something that people throw into his mouth. But I also would find it hard to imagine that that wouldn't help, um, having some sort of familiarity, some people that you could actually talk to I think on him, your team when you make that
2: adjustment. I think him saying that big market, it was just... To translate it, I don't want to play for New York. I think is literally what that just translates to, and Boston. Is there any timetable
0: as to, it's supposed to be very soon now, right? Yeah. When, when he decides when he, where he's going to go? There was
3: some article that came out a little while ago that said, he's going to pick in the next few days, but you can't.
2: Really Did he get like a LeBron Trump segment, that. like where I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna now? I'm going to take and, my talents to the West yeah, Coast. Yeah, seriously.
1: Well, the money is, is all very similar, too. so That's why I think a lot of people are kind of up in the air as far as where he's going to go, because he's young enough that he's not up for auction like a Yu Darvish or Masahiro Tanaka was when he came over, he's still within the restrictions of uh, amateur signing in the international pool, so the same way that a high schooler out of Venezuela is limited in how much he can get. So for Otani, he probably will try for a short-term deal, get whatever signing bonus money he can, and then if he proves himself as a player, then all of a sudden, two or three years from now, we're talking about the next superstar moving across uh, perhaps the country. Maybe he would be okay to go to New York then. But also the question with him is can he survive as this dual threat guy and does he need to be in the American League to do so, which would also hinder a team like Los Angeles' chances at getting him.
0: You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage
2: podcast.
0: Let's head on over to the hardwood once again as we did earlier, although this time we'll talk women's. They lost in the men's game last night because, obviously, we covered the men's game. We did not cover the women's game. They were on the road, but they beat Army, which is a pretty good Army team, and they're back up to, after a scoring performance last week against St. Bonaventure. I'm checking the schedule right now to make sure I'm saying the correct thing. Yes, St. Bonaventure, they won. It was a low-scoring game. They got beat pretty handily by Princeton on Saturday, 78-60. to They come back yesterday. It in West Point and beat Army 70 to 59. Now improved to five and four on the season. So very similar record to the men's, and we continue to see under Coach Adair, first year for, for as the Blue Hens head coach. The offense back where it has been before, prior to the final couple years for Tina Martin. And last night, Nicole Nabosi, 10 points, Simone DeFries 11. Besides that, they really shared the basketball and they got a lot of players involved. So it wasn't any kind of dominating. Individual performance, but this is what this team's got to do. They got to share the basketball, and they got got to get players involved. And this is another nice road win for this team. I mean, go.
3: And shot two for eleven on the floor. That's probably not a promising sign. But she had thirteen free throws this game. So I, and looking at the score, I I don't think it got down to a foul to stop
1: the clock game. No. So it was it was throughout most of the first half and into the second half a double-digit lead for delaware
3: so i guess she just drew fouls which is definitely a positive um but i mean anabosi putting up 15 bailey cargo putting up 15 you have your scores like we said it's a new kind of the offense coming into form but the, the one thing that i'm kind of looking at as i'm reading up the stat sheet here and there is that a lot of players saw minutes you know, almost every player had played 15 minutes plus besides Daniel Roberts and Aaron Antosh. Everyone else played 15 plus minutes, which is huge for a team that has as much depth as the Delaware team kind of has to have.
1: Well, they play in up-tempo style. Adair said before the season that she would go deep into her bench, playing 10 to 12 players off the bench. They're without Makeda Nicholas right now. I would assume she has an injury. I don't know if any of you guys have heard more about that. I personally haven't covered a woman's game in a few weeks, but I know she has not played very much. She's only played four games this season. So you're replacing probably 35 minutes a game, maybe say 32 minutes a game from Nicholas. Plus, you're already at that high tempo. So you need to go deep into the bench. I still think they lack a little bit of depth in the backcourt, but I think in the front court, when you have Nicole Nabosi, who to me is the best player in the c a a right now Lizzie have seen a nice play. exactly, and then you have you know Rebecca Lawrence is not a superstar, neither is Lizzie O'Leary right now, but you have rotation players that fill in around her in the front court. I think that's a place uh, to be very pleased with, and even when I saw Aaron Antosh probably for her longest run against Boston, I thought you know she gave them some size, some good defensive play, so they have options to mix and match. I think it's just finding that right recipe depending on their opponent, and keeping the pace up. I think when the, when they got into a kind of back-and-forth game with a lot of fouls against St. Bonaventure, that's when they were down into the 50-point range. When they're up and running the ball, uh, pushing the tempo, shooting threes, they can score over 70 points a game. And in a lot of CAA matchups, that's plenty to get the job done.
0: And they're doing a good job of getting other players involved. We talked, I think it was last week, right, about Simone Defries and how she's added some scoring. I keep, I keep coming back to what Bailey Cargo's done. I, I said the points incorrectly yesterday, uh, a few minutes ago. She had 15 points. I was looking at just the first half. Cargo had 15, Defries had 12, and then Abosi had 15. And then they got O'Leary, as you said, Amid, Rebecca Lawrence, Abby Gonzalez involved. But it's not you. Last year, of course, had Jardine and Erica Brown. But when it wasn't them, it was only Anabosi. But I think some of these other players are, are forming a little bit of confidence now knowing that this is a team that runs, and that, to me, fits their skills a little bit more. Yeah, I don't
1: even know if it's confidence as much as it fits what they have personnel-wise. I think personnel they, wise. they come
0: together. Yeah, I, I mean, and then
1: maybe maybe you get that first, and then the confidence comes along with it, sure. or you know, whichever order it comes, but I think a big deal of it has to do with the way that they're utilizing the personnel. You play around Nicole and Ibosi, but you still have to move the ball. You can't just dump it into her down low. You move the shooters around on the perimeter, and... You just spoke to Bailey Cargo. She actually, I'm in a class with her this morning. She actually brought this up as something that we all to share, like what we've tried to improve upon. And she brought this up as what she was going to try to improve. And she said three-point three field goal percentage, which, you know, that's obviously what she kind of came into Delaware as being heralded for. And the teacher asked, well, have you improved? And she said, yeah, I'm third in the CAA in three-point field goal percentage. And I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, like, wow. She's shooting 44% from three. Last year, she shot 25% from three. So that's, you know, that's quite a turnaround. She's still not scoring 20 points a game, but that's really the role that I think we maybe expected last year. And now she's really falling into it nicely this year.
0: Three for five last night. We saw her at some of the home games, knocking down the threes. It's going to be a critical player for this team down the stretch. She's going to have to take those shots and make those shots. That, that's a cool little story there. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. In the wise words of a mid quadry quote, "Bad teams win and good teams lose." I, I don't really know what you were saying. You were trying to talk about the Eagles and the the refs. First of all, you were very annoying on Twitter. Thank you very with, much. Uh, you, I, I, was, I
2: was. I will be doing the jokes tonight, Teddy. And <laughs> I am. And
0: listen, listen, I am not at all saying. I'm not at all trying to trash the Eagles. I mm-hmm. I agree. like the sure the ref the refs weren't great. I'm a but Twitter troll by the way, you guys should know yeah, this. Yeah, I, 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 so, so, Trumpy- what <laughs> were you, what were you attempting to say when you were what, what is this? Bad are you t- talking about my
2: just recent rage? Y- yes. Well, look, here's the thing. Just because you know Panthers beat the Pats this year, does that make the Pan- and the Patriots the best team in the league? I guess everybody can agree on that. Does that make the the Panthers like really good, really great because they beat that team? No, and. At the same time, the Chiefs beat the uh, or the Jets just lost or the Jets just beat the Chiefs. Excuse me, but again, all of these things happen. Your Redskins beat the Seattle Seahawks, who my Eagles just lost to. Again, uh, those things happen. You can't really relate everything together. It's not like college football. But, but where what do we? I'm trying to. What are, well, what I, are I we? I relate. don't think anyone is
0: saying <laughs> based on that like, game. That, like what do we?
2: What do we relate? But Wait, what are I you just?
1: Disputing? All goes back <laughs> so to the just, Eagles beat. Are you disputing the people who are out there saying? the 10-2 and two Eagles are worse than the record indicates based off the teams that they've played.
3: I don't think anyone's saying that the Seahawks are better than the Eagles just after that game. I wouldn't say that the Seahawks are better than the Eagles just after I that game. I think also
2: the argument is here is the Eagles only played easy teams, which is true to an extent. I guess my rage was partially entertainment. It's true to an extent. But here's the thing, though. Like Again, bad teams can win, and good teams can lose. It happens. Redskins are not a good team, but... They beat the Seahawks. Like, what's that? What do you? Ex- what's that explanation? I, certain,
1: yeah, I you know what, what I mean. You're it, it
2: Anything can... on you know, so any given, given Sunday. Sunday. Uh, any given no, Sunday. There's a lot of, of parity in the league. You can't. Correct. It's not predictable. Especially this year, where there's with the with you know the exception of three teams, it is mostly 500 for that matter. The AFC is not that good. It's okay, kind of hovering around 500. A lot of teams. NFC a little bit better, sure. Also, teams hovering either just below 500 or above 500. So again, I think the NFL this year competition overall is good, with the exception of three teams.
3: Well, we might get to a point in the NFC where a 10-win team misses the playoffs. Sure, exactly. And then you, you get, know what I mean? You look at the AFC where we might get to a point where a seven-win team makes the playoffs. I don't like, know about
2: that. Well, if if it a goes A 500 with, team, I'll say. Uh,
3: well, an eight and all right, an eight and nine, nine and team, seven. I mm, we very well could be an 8-8 eight eight team if you look at how the uh, AFC with the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the uh, Oakland Raiders are going. One of those teams could be 8-8 eight and, eight and make it, sure. make it into They're the not playoffs. Sure, probably, probably not, because that means each—they yeah. have to win everybody, one of the three yeah, for the rest of the lose, season. Yeah, everybody would have to lose, and I'm the, sure they match but, up. Oh, but other. then the Broncos can win out, and uh, there'll still be uh, six wins. But anyway— um, looking at the AFC <laughs> You're not sorry. in it I'm, You're out I'm, I'm like, Bron- Literally everyone would have to die For
2: the Broncos Three plus win.
3: three is six Seven yeah. is greater than se- All right, Yeah. Okay we're good We, we checked the math Broncos I'm sorry But they're not statistically eliminated They can stomach a card position The only four That's teams great. To be statistically eliminated Are the New York Giants One tier Cleveland Browns Two tiers Chicago Bears and the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers are the four teams that are statistically eliminated from the playoffs. And the Browns, not last week, but the week before, were still when they were 0-10, were still eligible to make the playoffs. Just put that into perspective. ES- ESPN put out there was 56 different things that had to happen for the Browns to make the playoffs.
0: I just want to know why, why, why they paid... I mean, somebody somebody so sat much, down. Somebody and, spent so much time doing that knowing that it wasn't going to happen, but hey, give him in credit. The event, it was Kaiser
2: cool. goes off completely. <laughs> Kaiser does for 47 Anyways.
0: touchdowns and one interception. Yeah. Okay, let's let's go to the NFC then.
1: Talk about some good with
0: teams. With what we're talking don't about. You, don't you disrespect the, my 0-12 Cleveland Browns. The Eagles lose. The Vikings win. By tiebreaker, the Vikings have the one seed right now. Of course, that could all change. The Saints beat the Panthers. The Rams get another win. The Rams, 9-3, and will face the Eagles this weekend in the biggest game of the week. The Seahawks, of course, beat the Eagles, so now they're into the slot. The Falcons slide out after they lost to the... I'm, I'm drawing a blank right here. Minnesota. Minnesota, thank you. And also still in contention, but very unlikely. You got Detroit, Green Bay, Dallas, Washington, Arizona, and Tampa Bay. So across the board right here, there's a lot of good teams in the NFC. The 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 one thing that people continue to sleep on and Jake I'm going to come back to this right now because I'm having a tough time seeing it here last week you said I just don't see the Rams making the playoffs nine and three sure the Seahawks are right there do you think that even if the Seahawks win the division the Rams could be overtaken by say the Falcons for that final wild card spot are you still not buying them as a playoff team um they played well last week they played really well
3: Last week, uh, Todd Gurley had another 170 yards from scrimmage in Arizona. Correct, uh, yeah, in Arizona. Yeah, Todd yeah. Gurley had 170 yards from scrimmage. Jared Goff, Jared Goff looked good. I, I think I'm going to take back the statement, and I think they will be a playoff team. I think they, I think that game against Arizona, which a lot of people said like this can be a a big speed bump for them, but as Brandon said, it this yeah. could be a tough game for them. I, I think they are a. a better team than I originally thought of them to be. Not that I thought of them to be a bad team, but I do think that they can be a playoff team right now, but I think they're going to be a wild card team.
1: Is it fair to say right now in the NFC that we're basically down to some combination of two NFC South teams and one NFC West team battling for the two wild card spots and that those division titles are still up for grabs, but that from the north we have the Vikings From the east, we have the Eagles, and then it will be some combination of Saints, Panthers, Falcons, Rams, and Seahawks. Can we eliminate Dallas? Can we eliminate Washington? Can we eliminate Detroit after what happened last week?
3: I think we can eliminate Dallas, eliminate Washington.
1: Of course, not mathematically. Right,
3: but uh, eliminate, um, I would say I would eliminate Detroit. I'm not
0: going to eliminate Green Bay yet. But I'm gonna get real close to eliminating them. Yeah, even well, with, one
1: more loss, and then because, out.
0: Oh, one more loss, done for sure. But we could keep saying, oh, you know, Rogers comes back. They get the six seed. How fun would that be?" But you know, I was watching something the other day. If even if they bring him back, they're gonna have to face a really good Vikings team. Go on the road to the Lions. He's officially off the IR next week. I mean, I don't know. They they, they got so. the they got the Browns this week. They go to Carolina. I think they're still in it. But yes, I agree with that. There, brand, Brandon, this I agree. Way.
2: The way it is set up. And I'll leave one and two up for grabs in the NFC is what I think will be final for the NFC. So it's going to be a battle fixture.
3: to see which one gets the top of the division and then the other six are locked?
2: Correct. Or the other, other four, four are locked, I should correct. say. I still think Minnesota has a little bit of a harder schedule than the Eagles, but I think with that being said, I'm going to lock it in right now. I like the way the NFC looks.
0: I think the Panthers are overrated. That's my one oh, that's my one I thing. like that. Out of these uh six teams currently in they'll pl- slide down. after these six they'll teams currently down. in playoff positioning, I think the Panthers are the worst of them. And I think the Panthers play the they play the Vikings, Packers, Bucks, Falcons. I would not be surprised at all if the Panthers lose three or four of those. I think they'll beat the Bucks. Rodgers comes back and, back and faces them. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose. I think the Pan- we will pick later. But the Panthers don't have the easiest schedule. Watch Atlanta here. Well, and that,
1: that Panthers-Atlanta game, I think you're getting to it. That I, yes, the playoff game exactly, in Week 17.
0: Exactly. And right now, I'm probably leaning towards picking Atlanta. But I, I'm, I'm not sold on the Panthers. I think they're the weakest team out of these six. Well, I was actually going to counter that. And when, when we get
3: to Carolina and Atlanta... I think Atlanta's more of the overrated team against Carolina. I think Atlanta's so solidly one-dimensional that last, last year, it was Freeman, it was Coleman, it was Julio, it was Sanu, and then they had Hooper in the tight end position. That was a good five players. This year, it and not necessarily saying it's bad, it has been Julio Jones, Freeman's been hurt, so I really can't go too critical in the running back position. Tevin Coleman has not been able to do anything without a solid running back in front of him to gain some pressure. Kevin Coleman's not a great pass-catching back. He's not the greatest run-through-the-block guy. I
1: would, re- I would refute that he's not a great pass-catching back.
3: I I think he's not a great pass-catching back for two reasons. One, because most passes are not going to him, because Mohamed Sanu is actually pretty good on the other side of the field to draw it. But I don't think he's been as well as uh, he would have liked to be. Uh, sure. lo- long, Long story short, I think that if it gets to the playoffs, you're going to have the Carolina Panthers double-cover Julio, Julio's still going to drop a 100 yards, but I don't think that's going to be enough for this Atlanta team to get close on a very good Panthers defense. And if they get a good Cam Newton, not much to say to that.
0: Well, the, the Saints are sitting here even after they beat the Panthers. Destroy the Panthers. Yeah, they, they have to play the Falcons twice. And that can, you can make a case, good or bad, for both. Because if you're the Falcons, you love it. Because you could still win the division. It's unlikely, but the Falcons could still win that division here. They beat the Saints twice, and then they go to Carolina. They beat them. Who knows what could happen there? But if the Saints beat the Falcons here then you're all of a sudden looking at New Orleans as a top tier if they're not already NFC competitor Mm -hmm. here so the NFC South could even get into the mix for the top two seeds sure and that's why across the board here there are so many teams still eligible whereas in the AFC at this point barring an epic collapse it's Pittsburgh New England one two either way it goes whoever wins that game in Pittsburgh next week is going to get the one in the NFC though it's far more open, and that's why we talked about before. A six-win team, you can't be worse. You, ten wins, it, you're gonna have to be that or better to get in. If you look at the AFC,
3: you have Pittsburgh at one, New England at two, interchange them how you like. If you look past that, the Tennessee Titans have little to no postseason experience on their roster. The Kansas Mario City Chiefs not even have yet. postseason experience, and their only experience is losing. Jacksonville Jaguars like were not even dreaming of the postseason last year or two years ago, and their defense has brought it together. The Baltimore Ravens have postseason experience, but they have no offense. Good luck to them playing the Jack Jacksonville Jaguars or any other team. There's no real team besides the one and two that are screaming, "We're ready to be a playoff team. Put us in, put us into contention." And I think I said the same thing a few weeks ago. Like none of these teams are yelling, "Like it's our time to shine." That's why I'm just saying it's going to be an NFC battle and then we're going to get to the AFC and see the Steelers and the Patriots, whoever gets the Super Bowl bid.
0: How about the Ravens? Interesting because I thought they were such an average to bad team, but somehow the Ravens very likely not, and of course not at all set, but they've got a great defense and their offense has been okay. Unless the Bills get it going, which they haven't done, you're looking at the Ravens here as a six seed. Bold,
3: yeah. hot take here. I think the Jets are going to knock on the door. Don't think they're going to get in, but I think the Jets are going to knock on the door. I think they're going to beat the Chargers next week. I think they're going to beat...
0: they go Broncos, Saints, Chargers, Patriots. That's a tough schedule. I think they're
3: going to beat the Broncos. I think they're going to beat the Chargers. I think they're going to make a competitive ball game against the Saints. I don't think they win that. And the Patriots might not go full force that last game, which they possibly can. I don't think it's going to have any value, but the Jets might knock on the door here and there.
1: Back to what you said, Teddy, about the Ravens. Mike Bama will have you know that after Baltimore lost in Week 7 against Minnesota, moving forward, they had the easiest remaining schedule in football. They had gotten most of their tough AFC games, and albeit there aren't, as we were just saying, that many AFC contenders that you're really worried about, but they had most of those games out of the way at the beginning. So they came out of the gate slow, but if you look at their schedule moving forward, they have... A Pittsburgh game this week that probably favor the Steelers at home Uh, but then they get Cleveland, Indianapolis, and Cincinnati. This is a team that kind of all of a sudden should be 10-6 to to finish the year and that will get them a playoff spot no matter what